Hello, everybody. This is Phil Stevens. You're on Iron Radio once again. I'm a powerlifter, Highland Games athlete. I run Strength Guild and do a ton of other stuff, and I'm a couple weeks out from my meet now. So Nice. This is Dr. Mike Nelson, creator of the Flex Diet and PhysFlex Certification, Associate Professor at the Kerrigan Institute, and down here in uh, South Padre, Texas, doing some work, doing some kiteboarding. I hit a new PR for vertical jump height the other day at 16 feet, so my little device that I jumped over four elephants, so that was cool. Oh. <laughs> I was ask you how you guys measure that. Do you like put a string out there and you have to go over it? What do you do? So. Oh, I have a little electronic device that <sighs> gotcha. measures it, and I'll tell you uh, height and how long you're in the air and angles and a bunch of stuff. So that's, yeah, that's cool. kind of fun. Yeah. Some kind of measurable stats. Yeah. I'm Drill, tell Coach us who you Jay, I'm, uh, I'm, just, I'm really just here to bring some eye candy to the podcast, you know. Mm. But on audio. also... <laughs> exactly. You got a perfect face for radio. Exactly. <laughs> and uh I run Strength Yield out in, in Olathe or Kansas City area. Um weightlifting coach, done some powerlifting stuff, done some strongman stuff. Kinda jack of all trades, master of none. There you go. I was gonna talk about the meat first off. So yeah. we went to a meet last weekend, and as far as I know, it, it was a USPA meet, but it was the first one they contacted me a couple months ago. And so they had a meet Saturday, and they decided to do a Special Olympics-only meet on Sunday, which was pretty cool. Because um, a lot of our kids around here that are in Special Olympics, they only get to go to, uh, like when they're in season. There's a short season for them. And it's anything but real powerlifting. Uh, <laughs> it's, let's just say it's not very well organized. And so being able to bring these kids, but then once they get to the national level, it is. Like if they earn their way to the games, uh, all of a sudden they do powerlifting the real way. So it's kind of a shock to them. So it's kind of neat to have somebody throw an actual meet. And I have to say it was one of the most, it was fun. It was, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Um, because I think there was 15 kids, and you know JP was running it and doing a real good job of uh, you know playing music and stuff. And they had the smoke machines and the light nice. machines, and so any lift they did, all the smoke machines went off, and there's bells and whistles and all over the place. So they were all just eating it up. Sweet. Uh, yeah, and he was playing like old 80s and 90s rap and hip hop. <laughs> so they were all like, I'm standing over there. I was one of the only coaches standing over in the the bullpen or whatever you want to call it. And, all like 15 athletes over there just dancing the whole time and like stuff you would not see at a regular powerlifting meet. And they were Sounds all like, we want to see that at a regular. Oh, it was amazing. <laughs> I was, you know, I was just getting after it with them. It was, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, they did a lot of things just right. You know, there were several kids that were bombing out on their squats and, uh, you know, they took the time to talk to them, and, like, at certain points for certain kids, we had to, like, all be quiet because we'd get them too excited. One kid, like, kept racking the squat after he, he'd stand up and just automatically step forward. Oh. And so we got the whole crowd to settle down and be super quiet until he came up and got his rack command. Mm. And then we all cheered, and then he's like, ah, you know, and then he puts nice. it back. And, uh, yeah, just made sure they all had a good time. Um, you know, and there were, there were some kids that maybe they gave him some questionable calls to not bomb out. But, I mean, at the end of the day, none of them were breaking world records. 
Um, yeah, there were yeah. some kids there like Patrick and uh, who's done a lot of these. Um, and they held them to a higher standard. But I mean, there were some kids like literally squatting 65 pounds as grown ass men, you know, and it's like, come on, just it was good to see them. Let them get one on the board. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. It's not going in any record book anywhere and it's going to do nothing but make them have a great day. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, I'd want to do it again. Yeah, exactly. So I think it'll be uh, – they're talking about doing a bigger one now. This one they kept it to one flight and uh, just to see how it goes. And hopefully they get more going because I'll definitely bring more of my kids up there. Uh, yeah. I've got several in the Special Olympics side of things. Yeah, I know. I knew we had talked about the Special Olympics stuff, and after having like kind of witnessed it and been around mm-hmm. it, we were both like, man, yeah, this is – Kind of a ridiculous business right here, but it was bad, so, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's really good to see people who are not only not like knowledgeable and care about like what's going on with it. Cause yeah, exactly. I, I think that might have been part of the issue. Like I, I only briefly talked to some of the people involved with you know before when we when we were talking about it uh-huh. with strength guild stuff, and I remember kind of they didn't have that much experience with just powerlifting in general, or I would even say lifting in general, to be honest. And it was like, almost like they, because people would wear, you know, like squat suits, right? Like you'd have somebody wear a squat suit and it's like, okay, but you know, how does that make sense in the context of a, you know, just a raw powerlifting? Also, why, like, why would we do that with, Special Olympics, you know? Yeah, yeah. Stuff like well, that. Well, I'm just, like, Horrible it got calls. to the point where I had to write the, you know, I write, wrote the head of the Kansas uh, Special Olympics and just let them have a large piece of my mind after one of the meets. It was just, <laughs> it's just a travesty. Well, and you see, the problem was, is then you'd see the Kansas lifters from around here, the Northeast Kansas lifters, then go to the next level, and they bomb out. And they don't yeah. know why. Uh, because the, they do the same thing they did at their home meets and they're allowed to pass, you know? Uh, and so then they'd go to the nationals or the regionals or whatever and they'd bomb out and these kids don't know why. And, and I was explaining to them, trying to explain to the coaches that were running these things and the people at the higher level, like, <laughs> you're doing these kids a disservice because basically all the coaches wanted to be the person that has like a, 400 or 500 pound squatter in the special olympics even though they're squatting a foot and a half high it was like and and the kids that are doing it don't give a shit like with miles i could put 45 pounds on the bar or 445 pounds on the bar if he picks it up and we cheer for him he's fucking happy yeah (laughs) and that's what i was telling them like these kids don't care as long as we cheer for them get them to do it right lower the weight and sure. let them, and then they have a chance when they go to nationals, you know, because at least you're holding them the same standard. And the coaches and the parents were the only ones that you're the one who cares how much it's on the bar. That kid yeah. doesn't care at all. And, you know, and then they cry at nationals and get bombed out. And it's like, come on, man, you got to understand why they're doing that. Uh, so anyways, it was just awesome to see a well-ran meet. We were in and out of there by. Oh, it started at eight. We were done by 1215. You know, it was was good. Yeah. Because like I said, it was one flight and they'd give them a half an hour after each, like they'd all squat and then we'd give a half an hour break and then warm up. That'd be the, that'd be the, probably the bigger challenge as it gets bigger is when you start, you have bigger gaps 
like kind of solving that issue. Yeah. As you get bigger, but obviously those are problems for a later date. But. Yeah, exactly. So another interesting one while we're talking about powerlifting, I was talking to uh, Matt Vincent came into town this week. Oh, fun. And he just got back from South Africa. While he was in South Africa, they did a meet called, what the hell do you call it, the triad or something like that. Basically, it's a powerlifting meet. So three squats, three benches, three deadlifts. But you do all nine lifts every minute on the minute. So you have nine minutes to do nine max attempts. Whoever gets (laughs) the highest total wins. So, and he said he went through it, and it was like, holy crap. I mean, that's how how you solve the time problem. Yeah, that's how you solve the time problem. It's like, but uh, I mean, just thinking about that personally, I mean, I think the only way I could do it is just like warm up and go for my heaviest lift with my first one and hope for the best. (laughs) And then, you know, bail on my next two attempts, like pass to give myself two minutes rest. You know, before I have to bench and then hopefully get a good bench and then two minutes rest for deadlift, maybe take an extra shot there, you know, because I couldn't imagine like, okay, I go 725. Okay, you got 60 seconds and you're going 765. Holy crap. (laughs) I was wondering, do you have to take all the attempts, right? Yeah, I don't know. If you did, you'd have to really go low. Right. Uh, That's a lot of work in nine minutes uh, with (laughs) essentially no recovery. And I, I mean, think like, our pace of lifting is pretty good, but holy moly. I mean, I'm still for the, the power lifting with the weightlifting rules, you know, where you have to do your, the bar only goes up, but that is more interesting. Now that you have to do, it's not like you go through your squats and then you rest for no. how long and then you get to go <laughs> to your bench, you know? No, so, yeah, it's just nine yeah. minutes, man. <laughs> increases the, the, Interesting aspect, but I will say, I mean, if you if you can game it like that, it's pretty much just kind of hitting ninety percent across the board, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like where you're kind of like just do one lift and then, or maybe you do one warm up lift and then take the second minute off and then your final lift. Yeah. Something like that, you know, would we'll, we'll probably work all right. And that transition from squatting to like the bench, especially when you're pretty strong, like. Even if you have a challenging squat at, at most meets, and then you go to bench and you're trying to get your back tight, and yeah. it's like your lats lock up. Yeah, you're cramping up. Oh, yeah. So going straight from your heaviest squat to your bench, that would be kind of an interesting. I mean, the deadlift is always just kind of the deadlift is just kind of there, yeah. but yeah, that'd be yeah, interesting. It definitely. It'd definitely I just want to Peck injuries you'd have too, just yeah. because you'd have to warm up for your bench before you squat, right? Oh yeah, you'd essentially have to warm up everything. I mean, exactly. So, and just what be was Matt to Vincent's total? I don't know. I don't remember, but uh, I think he said he hit like eighty-five percent. Is what he ended up hitting in things. So, which I mean, that seems smart. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'd be curious how much is off their top lifts by doing that. Oh, it's got to be a ways. I mean, yeah. Like, we purposely train our squats and deadlifts on the same day. Like, so today I'll go in, I'll squat up heavy, and then we'll take, like, a 10-minute break and then start deadlifting heavy. So, and I feel that helps us. Come meet day, then I get, like, this six-hour break between, and it's amazing. (laughs) But I couldn't imagine, 
you know, then we just start warm up. So, I mean, it might be half 45 minutes later after we're right. squatting that I'm actually hitting a heavy deadlift, but to do it like essentially last squat between last squat and first deadlift is three and a half minutes. Holy crap. That's pretty quick. So, well, not since your 10 minute rest period, you'd have your yeah. lifts done. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so, uh, make for a fast day, but hmm. I do agree with you though. I, I think the, uh, I think a change in weightlift or into powerlifting to to be more like weightlifting would be fun. Um, just because there's more gameplay, man. That's the fun part about weightlifting. Like as a coach, you have all this gameplay to do, and it's fun to piss people off. Uh, <laughs> like taking crazy ass jumps, and they're like, "Oh no, I'm up next." You know, you jump. Well, I mean, if you had to follow yourself, then there wouldn't be quite a minute, but it'd be two minutes, right? Like you have two minutes. Yeah. Let's say you miss a squat, and he's like, "All right, you're, you're following yourself now." Like two minutes, and you got to try it again. Well, yeah, and you have that crazy shit where like you're you're 15 lifters out, and all of a sudden like 12 of them jump. Never <laughs> yeah. mind, you're up. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that mm-hmm. kind of stuff's fun and it screws with you. But uh, yeah, I mean, you got to time your warm ups properly. You know, that kind of stuff is always interesting. I part of it too is like when I go to coach at powerlifting meets, the squats. I'm usually fine through the squats, but like the bench where all meets go to die, the bench would be just more fun because it's so much closer, like, mm-hmm. especially with the top guys. Like, it would just be so much more fun to, like, play the game and on the bench press. Yeah. There's a lot, you know, bigger disparity on deadlifts than most people, so it's that one's a little bit less. But, yeah, I just certainly wouldn't think the game play on the bench press would be a little more fun. Yeah. Wouldn't be such a snore fest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the the owner here, he went and did the powerlifting meet uh, on Saturday, not on Sunday, but and uh, I don't know if he, I don't know how exactly how well he did, like how well he expected to do versus how well he did, but he totaled, so I, like he did all right, I guess. I don't know. He was also expecting to do so. He so similar to the man and woman card that I was messing around with when I at the other gym. He's yeah, something that's called the six. And it's like, you know, something like a hundred pound pull up, two hundred pound strict press, three hundred pound bench, four hundred pound squat, five hundred deadlift, and a six minute mile. Ooh. In the same in the oh, same Jesus. day. The same day. So yeah, in the same day. His strategy to like test it was to go do the powerlifting meet, and then he was going to do the other three after. And I don't think he even attempted, like, the run. He was But, yeah, I, and I tried to tell him, I was like, I, that's one thing he wasn't really – it's hard to – he's, like, kind of a CrossFit guy. It's hard to talk to people about how different powerlifting is, yeah. and even weightlifting, right? Like, so if you're going to go to talk to a CrossFit about, like, hey, have you done – it's like, yeah, it's nine lifts, and, like, that's the big thing. I hear, I see people posting, oh, it's just nine lifts, just nine lifts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you're getting psyched up for probably pretty much yep. each of those to some degree. Like, each of those lifts over the course of five hours, right, like five, six hours, that's a ton of up and down. And then, and I, like, if you've ever done a weightlifting meet or a powerlifting meet, like, you know, I can't imagine you leave any of those and you're like, I'm ready to do some stuff. Like, <laughs> right? I mean, that, that, 
is a huge challenge. Like, and so yeah. I had suggested to him, like, do that stuff before the stuff you like, you're get some wins early. And he also has like kind of a running background. So endurance, so I was like, yeah, do, do the miles like an early warm up. And you have your other stuff, like eat your way to the squat and then finish with the deadlift. Cause the deadlift would be the one that I would be like, I would circle on the board is like, if this is a max attempt, nothing else is happening after this. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. This is a truly max attempt. We're not trying, we're not attempting anything else. Yeah. This is going to tell us the cherry on top. Right. So, but yeah, he was, he was attempting that. I don't think he, I don't know if he, I don't think he got any of them. Yeah, that's tough. And what people don't understand is like, you are not muscularly beat up after nine lifts. You are just done. You're just, you're just yeah. wore the fuck out. Cooked. That's it. like, yeah, you're neurally and just, you know, physically just cooked. You're just like, oh, okay, I'm ready for, I just want food and a bed. <laughs> Your joints ache. Yeah. Right. Like I you have kind of running a mile. <laughs> after death. I can't imagine running a mile anyways, but I mean, after death, <laughs> <I think squatting. laughs> <sighs> but Yeah. And I, I mean, so those numbers could be done. Like I know the CrossFit thing, which I, I do enjoy the, I think it was Dave Castro presented that was like the 500 squat, five minute mile yeah. in the same day, which I like that challenge because it's so simple. Like it, I mean, if you can do both those things, things in the same day, you're probably in pretty good shape. Yeah. Uh, but to throw in all, like, unless they're not PRs, and yeah. I think for him, he was suggesting that they were going to all, like, he pretty much was going to have to hit PRs on everything. Yeah, PR every. I was like, Ooh, all right, man. That's rough. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, if you were pushing like 90%, like, okay, he needs a 500 deadlift, but he's done like 585. Ah, I can't yeah. to this. <clears throat> so, but. Hmm. you got a study for us, Mike? I do. Uh, this one, oops, sorry, I don't know what the noise is outside here. Uh, this one's from ASN. Uh, dietary protein intake does not modulate myofibular protein synthesis rates or loss of muscle mass and function during a short-term immobilization period in young men randomized crossover trial. Uh, the main author is Sean Paul Kilroy. Uh, Luke Van Loon uh, was on this one also in addition to a bunch of other authors. So what they did is they did uh, an immobilization period. So we've got previous data showing that short-term Less than one week of muscle disuse lowers daily protein synthesis, right? So listeners are familiar with protein synthesis as a process of taking amino acids and stuffing them into uh, muscle tissue to make it a little bit bigger and stronger. And so they were trying to figure out uh, for like hospitalizations, how can we do some nutritional intervention while people are immobilized to present the, hopefully reduce the the risk of muscle loss. Um, so in this study, they used 33 healthy young males, age 22 on average. Uh, they consumed a standardized diet for five days before, providing 1.6 uh, grams, oops, I'm sorry, it's actually kg uh, per body mass per day. So in essence, a pretty high protein diet, mm -hmm. especially compared to what is normally used in studies. And then they went under a three-day period of unilateral leg immobilization. 
they just kind of usually cast or don't have you move one leg. And they had him assigned to uh, one of three eucalorica diets. So these were all the same calories, and they changed the amount of protein. So they had the high group, which is at 1.6, so same as the run-in period when it started, a low group at 0.5, and they actually had a no-protein group, which they couldn't eliminate protein altogether, Mm. but they got down to 0.15, and this was actually grams of protein per kg. So pretty pretty good range uh, there, which is great because then you can compare them across groups. Uh, They did some labeling with D2O water, and they looked at this previous and after uh, leg uh, bilateral MRI scans, did muscle biopsies, all sorts of fun stuff. And in short, what they found was that uh, three days of muscle disuse induces considerable declines in muscle mass and daily myoprotein synthetic rates. However, daily protein intake did not modulate any of the muscular deconditioning responses, meaning that despite high levels of uh, protein coming in, they across the board, they still had the same muscle loss. They still had the same uh, downturn in uh, muscle protein synthetic response, which I was a little bit surprised. If you would have asked me, I would have said, yeah, the... You're still going to have some loss, but the the high group of protein is going to kind of counteract that, right? Because we know that, and even cited other data showing, at least in healthy people, not necessarily an immobilization model, uh, that this works, right? We've got lots of data. That's how protein helps increase muscle size. Um, and I'm looking here to see they did measure uh, strength, so isometric strength uh, dropped quite a bit. Um, they measured that across different groups and in general just saw no difference really with no protein to high protein. Hmm. Um, I would have expected, like I said, high protein to have some effect. I don't think it would have ameliorated everything, but I was kind of shocked that it didn't show any effect at all. So they said, well, mobilization, right with the mobilization. Yeah, what was the length of the length of time for the immobilization? It was just three days. Hmm. Oh. Yeah. So again, you could argue, well, maybe if you carried it out over a longer period of time, maybe you've got more loss initially, and then later on, maybe there's a little bit of a a benefit to it. Um, and then they didn't talk about this, but my bias is that there's a huge difference between I didn't train and I even was not super active versus. I didn't move the damn thing at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's a, a bigger difference than what, what people realize. And if anyone's ever had immobilization done before, like I've had my right shoulder ripped out of the socket completely. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't move it for, God, I couldn't move it at all for eight weeks. And I took everything off. I My arm would hang down to the side. I couldn't mm-hmm. move it at all. I could grab my tricep and play games with it. Yeah. <laughs> it was It was pretty bad. Have you ever been in a cast, right? Yeah. You'll see the, yeah. the same thing. Like, you take the cast off. You're like, oh, my God, that's my arm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's, so, quick, it's amazing yeah. how quick it comes back, too. So that's my thing. It's it like does. how much of mobilization is just – I mean, like, when I had my bicep repaired, like, my bicep itself was, like, the size of my wrist when I came yeah. out of cast. <laughs> like, a couple weeks later, just using it, uh, 
everything blew back up. You know, it was like it was hydrated again and things like that. So it was like how much actual muscle loss happens and how much of it's just like just getting, I don't know what you'd call it, dehydrated. It's just not used. So it's immobilized and like all the water flush out of it. And, you know, the minute it gets blood flow back in there again, it's like things seem to puff back up. And not that you're at where you started after nine weeks in a cast or whatever, but no. the losses aren't aren't as drastic as they seem when that doctor cuts that thing off. You're like, oh, my God, I lost 10 years of work. (laughs) Yeah, I would have two questions or two follow-ups to the the study, at least to you, Dr. Nelson. Um, You think, because that is kind of, they said standard diet, but do you think 1.6 per kilo is would even be close to what a standard, like, I guess, standard American diet would be? I think that's really high starting out. Yeah, I would say it's very high, but they're comparing that to the literature in athletes for maximizing oh. uh, muscle protein synthetic response. So if you're on the the U.S., you're looking at about 0.7 grams uh, per day per pound of body weight, which is right about 1.6, right? So 1.6 grams of protein per kg if you're a 220-pound mammal, right, that's 100 kg. That's 160 grams of protein, right? So obviously people go up to even higher than that, but most of the literature is kind of centered around in metric, the 1.6. So they're trying to compare it to a higher protein diet that we know is beneficial for that. Because some of the real early work in here has looked at like, we just gave them the 60 grams per day of the RDA. It's like, well, no crap that they lost. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. they that's lost my muscle. question. It's kind of like if because they started so so I wouldn't say so high, but started high-ish as using the athlete range because previous studies and previous data suggest that there's either you know you have some you know slow slowing down of the muscle loss, but a lot of times it's you know you have people who have a lower protein diet prior, mm-hmm. and then they you know, going to the study and they have a little bit higher protein diet. So going from low to a little bit higher versus like going from already high to then immobilizing. Do you think that has some effect on the the study itself? Like the processing? Because if you start higher and then then you immobilize, you know, I would think obviously like that there would be, you know, a muscle loss, you know, equal to what we saw in this study versus in another study, if you had lower protein and then you aim to, you know, essentially raise the protein from where they were, then going into the injury or whatever, then raise the protein, I would expect that there would be a little bit different result in that. Do you feel like that would be the case? Yeah, I would say maybe. There's some older data showing that, if you were at, and let me know if this answers your question, like a super high rate of uh, protein intake, and then you just dramatically slash your protein, that your body gets a little bit more used to oxidizing some of that excess protein. And the theory is that now that your intake went from, you know, 1.6 to you know, 0.3 per day or something crazy, that you're oxidizing more protein and that you may theoretically tear down more muscle tissue to try to keep up with that protein demand that your body was accustomed to. Um, that's kind of based on some old military research. And I think one of the 
Arctic Explorer missions or something like that. They were pretty, pretty crazy background stress levels, um, output and that type of thing. And I think they may have only used nitrogen retention methods. I don't think they used any tracer type studies. Um, but it was interesting in this study too, is that they left the one group high. So they left them at 1.6 and they had a low group and then they had a no group. And I was kind of surprised that they didn't see any change between all of those. So you could argue that if they did the inverse, did really low, and then did a, a higher point, maybe they'd see a difference. But I think here they were just trying to standardize them to something that we know is beneficial for five days and then look at differences. And then like what Phil was saying, too, is that they also measure muscle protein synthetic response. So a lot of... I don't know how much you can put into MRI and things like that because you've got so much local fluid uh, difference changes. Um, and obviously, a lot of methods will try to account for that. And MRI is going to be probably the best way to actually look at that. Um, DEXA, any other form of that is much more sensitive to that in general. Uh, Grant Tinsley has some other data showing that maybe it's not as sensitive as what we thought, but uh, yeah, and they did direct muscle biopsies, too, so you can look at uh, fiber changes. The downside of that is it, it's hard to determine how much of a fiber change, what does that mean in English, right? Does, did I lose, like, half a pound from my leg, or, you know, mm-hmm. what did I lose? Because I'm down at the microscopic level just looking at these fiber differences. So, yeah, I can tell you a fiber difference in change and that it was lost, but... You know, I always try to think of in lifters, it's like, did you lose like five pounds from your leg that was immobilized mm-hmm. or was it like 0.25 pounds? Yeah. And that's hard to scale up that type of data too. But for research, it's useful because that allows you enough, you know, specificity to look to see what were the changes then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree. A lot of it probably does come back. Uh, they didn't look at that in this study. Um, I know Luke Van Loon has talked about before, I think in older people, they did an immobilization study using bed rest, if I remember correctly. And these were, I want to say a mean age of 72, I think. And they had taken these people and trained them, gave them high protein diets for pretty long chronic study. I think it was a year or maybe two years, like really long. And saw no shock, you know, they could gain, you know, protein accumulation of muscle tissue. A little bit slower process, but it definitely happened. And I think he said they did a two-week bed rest study, and all of the muscle they accumulated over the long-term chronic study, they lost in like two weeks. Holy <laughs> crap. And he's like, I felt so bad. <laughs> sure. Um, and I think he said they were going to try. I don't know if they could get that same group again. They may not be super happy with him um, <laughs> and see if they train them again, how, what, what is sort of the plasticity of that? Like how much of that does actually come back? And I think that's the question we have even less data on, right? We're still trying to figure out if you have to be immobilized or bed rest, what is the best things to do for that? Because yeah. now you've taken movement off of the table. But after that, like how fast do you come back? There's some interesting stuff with, Satellite cell activation, there's some data on people who had used anabolic steroids in the past that maybe they have better uh, satellite cell activation, maybe they've got more myonuclei, right? So if you believe the myonuclei domain theory of hypertrophy, 
that those people will gain a little bit faster because they, they have kind of more of the previous building blocks that still kind of hang out a little bit, which is why some natural organizations have argued that if you have used a lot of stuff in the past, like what is kind of the waiting window for that? Or are you always at some type of advantage? Eh, we don't know, but yeah, I'd, I'd, I've just seen time and time again, like the higher level you were, the more trained you were. Yeah, you're going to lose stuff, but you just tend to come back much faster than if you've never had it. And everybody's experienced that, right? We've got good data as a muscle memory effect, even if we don't know the exact mechanism of it. Yeah, and that would be interesting if they took like, I don't know, even train them for a week after, after the bed rest and see what comes back in one week. Just one week of moving around. Yeah. So, like, how much really came back? Even if it wasn't even, like, training. Like, literally just not being yeah, a vegetable. Movement. Yeah. You know, just yeah. movement. Like, what comes back? Oh, okay. You I'm got actually, 20% of that back. Whatever. I'm actually surprised that you wouldn't finish that study with that. Because especially if you had them for a year, right? If you had them for at least a year and then, you know, capped at two weeks, I, I would be surprised that you – didn't have like a follow up on top of that just cuz yeah. i mean it's hard to get people for a whole year yeah. right like yeah that's that's kind of a tough that's a tough sell it's like i mean oh very one, hard yeah like that is and especially that age group honestly like <coughs> they're stubborn yeah so yeah i'm surprised I, that that wasn't the case but and i always think of that even when i was doing my own studies it's like i had a time trial done instead of a a ride to exhaustion for looking at some caffeine stuff with monster energy drink. And I went back and forth on it. And if I did a time trial, ooh, I couldn't use some of the super early caffeine data as background. And then I would have to have more familiarization trials. So it's going to increase the amount of times that people have to come into the lab. And they were already coming in just for an acute study, which I'm not paying them, you know, three times to have, <clears throat> testing, three max exercise tests, a whole bunch of other stuff done. If I jump that to like five, oof. And because of the way the study was designed, if they drop out on the last trial, I can't really use any of that data depending on how you design it. So it's always this trade-off where like from a research perspective, it's like, ooh, I really want to answer this question, that question, but ooh, I want to make sure I get this step done first and I don't want to have this, you know, crazy dropout rate, you know, so I, yeah, I agree. It's, it's always hard, but it, in terms of the data, yeah, hundred percent. I would love to see that. So now let's go to, cause we only got a few minutes left here. There's another, uh, competition coming up and I, uh, I'm not going to say this is a, I don't have proof that this is like because the R <coughs> happened, but it seems like more and more of these things are coming up, and it's kind of a as a result to the Arnold not happening. Um, Rogues Invitational this week is this weekend, and it's day two today, and they added Strongman on. So you've got they they usually have this end, uh, Invitational CrossFit thing, and uh, they were talking about adding powerlifting and and other stuff on this year, but maybe that's in years to come because they said other says other facets of the iron game, including powerlifting and Olympic weightlifting are also under consideration for inclusion in 2021 with more updates as they develop. It doesn't look like they went ahead and did that this year, but uh, they did add the strongman on. And uh, 
as everybody knows, the strongman Arnold didn't happen. And they got a good crowd of people. I mean, it, all the people in the top ten here, well, there's ten people invited, but, I mean, it's it's big names. It's Brian Shaw, it's Mikhail, it's Luke Stoltman, both the Stoltman brothers, Jerry Pritchett, uh, Martin Lissus, Mattias, Rob Kearney, J.F. Karen. So, I mean, big big names. I mean, one would expect you have to throw up some money and uh, to get these guys here. So it's down in Austin. But it's just interesting seeing these. It'll be interesting to see what happens with the Arnold now. And as these things come up, I mean, it seems like yeah. they have some real competition coming up after two years of the Arnold just kind of missing the boat, especially this year when, as far as I know, their state would have allowed it, and they still decided not to. So <laughs> well, here'll be a, here's a question with because Arnold's still very involved with the Arnold, yeah, like he's still mm-hmm. kind of the the decision maker. You think his his current politics affects how he's you know essentially making decisions you know based on like pandemic stuff, right? Do you think that that is factoring in highly for him because he's I mean he has a strong stance on oh he has a very strong stance like a lot of people got mad at him and a lot of people yeah. just said they're pulling out like I think it was Redcon said they're done you know mm-hmm. and they were a major sponsor of the Arnold and they're like we're done you know after you said that shit. And if so, I mean, and my guess would be, yes, it it does. And if so, he's letting his own personal stances commit, like, organizational suicide. I mean, that's (laughs) what it it feels like, does it not? Yeah. I mean, if you're willing to host a competition and you got, you know, big money right now, like, I mean, why wouldn't you fill that gap? Because, I mean, and that's what kills me about the Arnold situation. I, and I like Arnold. Look, I, regardless of his politics, I'll always yep. be a fan of Arnold, yep. like the whole pumping, all of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I'm not going to let somebody's politics, you know, hurt, you know, really hurt my vision of who he is or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But it looks like, I mean, cause he has a huge, you know, very strong stance. Essentially Ohio is not open, like completely open. I don't think, but it's pretty close mm-hmm. and you could do some good stuff with, at least the main major events that you had before, bodybuilding, powerlifting, weightlifting, mm-hmm. CrossFit, whatever. But Rogue is, I mean, because Rogue's right down the street pretty much. Yep. Like, they're HQ. Yep. So it's like, those politics are, you know, essentially causing oh. him this harm at this point, his business anyway. Yeah. But maybe he doesn't care. He's probably got the bag. You know, he's probably doing all right. <laughs> Well, and, you know, they even use their, I mean, they don't mention the Arnold in their advertisement for this, but they do really push, like, that they are the innovators behind the stuff at the Arnold of late. Mm. And, you know, they're like, this is the first annual Strongman competition. We'll debut at the Invitational this year uh, with the 10 top Strongmen. And it, the events are devised by the creators of the, you know, the famous Wheel of Pain and the Elephant Deadlift Bar and blah, blah, blah. You know, so the things that they made for the, the Arnold, they're using as a, uh, advertisement for this thing. And it's like, there's a void there and you can't think that people aren't going to fill it. And, you know, how many people missed out on how many hundreds of thousands come to the Arnold each year? I mean, there's, there's a lot. <laughs> I oh, mean, it yeah. is, 
it is the event now. Like I remember when I started in this field, it was the Olympia is the what we always went to. And then the Arnold just quickly rose to fame because of all the other events. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's going to be a hard, a hard bounce back for the Arnold. I think they pissed off a lot of people. Uh, so do you think part of it is, <clears throat> didn't they have the Arnold in the UK in October? Correct. Yeah, and then they still had, as far as I know, I think they had the Australian one too in South America. But right, because I just looked up online, and <clears throat> there's a huge page and everything for the Arnold in the UK, mm-hmm. September 23rd to the 25th, 2022. Yeah, I don't hear dink about it in the U.S. Nope, all so there was weird. was just the yeah, the, all there was was the bodybuilding side of it, and they shut right. everything else down. I mean, for God's sakes, it's 2021. Live stream the hell out of it. Yeah. If you don't want people there. Like, you have the money to put up a really, really good live stream. Oh, (laughs) And people would buy it. You know? Fucking 10 bucks, whatever. You know? And they'd sit there all weekend and watch that. So, uh, and sell, sell ad space. You know? You got your money. You got part of it. Be a sad day, man, to see the Arnold completely fall off. You know? Oh, I know, I know. Or even fall down. It'd be sad to see it fall to like a tenth of what it was. You know, a considerable drop off. Be like, I know personally, there's a lot of people mad, like that used to buy vendor space in the arena, in the uh, what do they call it, the vendor hall or whatever the hell it is. Yeah. You know, they're just pissed, and rightly so. Especially not this year. This year they had warning. But that first year when they backed out like the week of the event, oh yeah, like all my people had their shit. Like we had already shipped it there. Yeah, <laughs> oh, like all <laughs> their shit was there, ready to go. And they're like, "Never mind, not doing it. You have to pay to ship your shit back." Mm. You know, it's like, "Oh my god, that was a logistical nightmare." Because uh, then they still had to go there. Like they weren't shipping it back for you. You had to go there in their huge ass warehouse and track your shit down. And figure out a way to get it back with the other thousand companies trying to send their stuff back. Ugh, yeah. But yeah, I tried to find a date for the 2022 Arnold in the U.S. and there's not as much on the website. It just says uh, tickets will be on sale soon, mm-hmm. and they listed some of the sponsors, which I would say the sponsors are significantly other than Rogue. They're significantly less than what they've had in the past. And gotcha. I get it. If you're a sponsor and you can't even tell me what date you're doing it in 2022, I'm going to be a little leery. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Or if you, or if you had experienced what happened last year with them, exactly. I mean, Given the like, history on top of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that'd be my only problem with the rogue thing. And I'm not, I am not a huge bodybuilding fan at all. It's like, I don't really see rogue bringing bodybuilding in. I think it would be all performance stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Which I'm for that. Like, I like that stuff, but you know, obviously it'd be a little sad for bodybuilding not to have yeah. space. But in the Rogue Invitational is more performance space. Like I don't mm-hmm. see like a it's you know do they have a they don't have like a display or like a where you're kind of wandering around and looking at all the sights of the Arnold. Yeah. But I would say uh, Rogue more likely would be like you know CrossFit strongman weightlifting would be in there. Yeah. Well, should they start putting money into like a way the thing or a policy meet? You know, you have even five figure, five, six figure purses yeah. for, oh. you know, winning. It's like, I think that's probably the issue with USA. I think USAW probably would have been all for it. 
Except how distracting would that be if it's like, so this is normally the kind of the time frame where Worlds would be. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, do you want to go do well at Worlds or would you rather go make some money? $25,000. Like, yeah. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so I think it would put yeah. a wrench in the, in the season if they can't get this to be, uh, whatever they call it, like an international meet, like a, silver cup style meet where it like counts towards your yeah. even though we're not yet in the olympics but counts towards your olympic international stuff where do they stand on making money because olympics is actually a amateur sport it's like could they even do that yeah i think that must be part of the problem but i don't even know how that works i mean like because look you look at the olympics and so there's stipends for high performing athletes in usaw mm-hmm. so they get paid and like I know, like, I've seen the list. I've seen the guys, how much each person is getting paid. A lot of that came out with, uh, oh, a lot of it came out with the Colin Burns stuff. Mm-hmm. So the, and it was like, I mean, that was like a really terrible thing with rape and all that. But then yeah. all the stipends came out. And, you know, there's people making three, five K, you know, a month kind of thing. Obviously, there's a lot less in there. Some of it's like 300 a month or whatever. Yeah. So there, there's some money towards, you know, lifters and people who have made money. Like I know CJ had a Reebok deal. Yeah. Right. So. And and or all the NBA players who play on the. Yeah, yeah and that's, basketball that's where it got really crazy. Was then they started letting professional basketball players play. And it was like ah. So. Yeah, so. And and now in our like right now, especially with college athletes, is like everyone can be paid. So. I mean. What is the status of the yeah, Olympics? Sure. I, I mean, it, it can't be that amateur anymore. So, and yeah. even then, if Rogue was like, you know what, skip that, we're not going to do that. We're putting up, you know, hundred thousand dollars. I'd rather see the monsters come down and, and you know do some. Like I don't understand why that's not more prevalent. It's like, all right, yeah, we're taking drugs. Who cares? <laughs> and you have these, <laughs> these yeah, invitational yeah. meets where you put some money up and see who can snatch what, like unsanctioned, whatever, you know, I want to see if Lasha can get the 500 kilo total. Like yeah, I want exactly. to, I'm very interested in seeing the, the 500 pound snatch or, or, uh, you know, 600 pound clean and jerk, you know, put some money up, like do the, do all the drugs, you know, yeah. who can clean and jerk 600, like whatever. Yeah. Yep. No. And the money they're putting out for this thing, like, uh, in the CrossFit portion, first place gets 255,000. Nice. And in strongman, first place gets 133,000. So, I mean, imagine that. Yeah. I mean, you start throwing that kind of money at weightlifting, you got lifters coming from all over. <laughs> They've already been doing stuff like the Dubai championships for CrossFit stuff. The Dubai stuff was kind of wild because it was like, oh, this is the last one I paid attention to where Matt Frazier was there, but there was one event, like just before the event, they're like, yeah, this, this event, you win this one, you get, you know, 50K. Yeah. Just like randomly was like this event. And you saw him like, okay. And he went a lot harder than that. He beat yeah. everyone. Oh, hell yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so I want to see that. Like, you yeah. know, it's like, oh, yeah. Or, you know, almost like, you know, that movie Rat Race where they're mm-hmm. all just betting. Like, let's do it. And like, oh, this yeah. person makes this lift $10,000 just mm-hmm. randomly. Yep. That'd be bad. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It would, it would turn people on. I mean, they would not. It makes it exciting, too. Yeah. They would not hold back. You know, so, but, no, it'll be interesting to see this stuff come up. I mean, 
And like I said, this thing looks to be going good. The leaderboard right now, I'm sorry, I don't know CrossFit people. So, uh, Justin Medeiros, Justin Medeiros is in first in that. And, uh, the women, I know Tia, Tia Claire Toomey is in first mm-hmm. and Annie Thorstadter is in second. Nice. So. Probably a distant second. She is She's 15 points behind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tied with Laura Harvath. But, um, and then in strongman, Martin Lissis is in first so far. He deadlifted 906 pounds. Wow. Uh, and the circus dumbbell, he did the cap plus two reps, it looks like. But, nice. uh, Shaw's in fourth. You know, it's, it's close between the top four. It's, Martin Lissis, Tom Stoltzman, Oleski, Novikov, and then Brian Shaw. But it mm-hmm. kind of drops off after that. But, you know, even them, they're freaking fighting for $133,000 or 66 for second. I mean, that's a, a – Yeah. I can live on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for a weekend's worth of work. But uh, that's going to make you work hard. But I don't know what they wanted. Uh, I don't know what Arnold gave away for top place. So I don't know where it stands as far as that goes. But, uh, yeah, I can't remember. Well, well, Rogue had like a oh, running yes. counter, right? So they had like where you, as a spectator, you could feel a part of it because they had a running counter. Like, this is where the purse is right now. Yeah. And they have a counter like up here. Yep. And they're trying to get more and more. Like, they obviously are plugging that money right back into the athletes. So that's like, yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. Cause they had a minimum purse. It was 1,250,000 was their minimum purse. And right now it is at 1,486,000. Hmm. So. Um, and it says the cash price can only go up, uh, cash. Yeah. So it even says ticket sales, like ticket sales go towards this purse. So, Oh, cool. So the more sales they go, the higher that's going to go up and the more than, and basically the, how much you make is based off of a percentage, like first place in the, in the, uh, CrossFit gets 17.20% of the purse. So as the purse goes up, their percentage, hmm. There are how we did the, the money when we did the the powerlifting and weightlifting stuff. But yeah, yep, yep. You get percentages of it. Whatever so. we make, we're just going to give it right back. Yep, and that's. I mean, it's a smart deal. I mean, you make your money back. Like for oh, rope, yeah. like if they break even, they're good. Because I was going to say massive yeah. advertisement. Yeah, <laughs> if you're rogue, just do it. Give the money back to the athletes. Just call it a break even event, yes. and you'll more than make up for that in the back end. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that makes me feel all warm and fuzzy about them. Yeah, you know, exactly. So, but that's about it. I think that's an hour. So hopefully we'll see more events like that. And I think we've already seen it with Shaw doing his thing and now Rogue doing this and adding more events to it. So who knows who's next? I mean, when you got big players like Redcon and stuff backing out of uh, the Arnold, they're going to point somewhere else. You know, they've got that money to throw somewhere else that they feel is fit, you know, a fit for their brand. So who knows? But. Yeah. I did poke a little bit more on the Arnold site and it says they've got the expo March 4th through the 6th, but a lot of everything else is 2BD and you can't buy tickets yet. So gotcha. who so, knows? Yep. So we'll see, but it's two years. It's weird for me. It's two years without going down there, but uh yeah, that's right. It's, Sort of in your backyard, not really, but no. Uh, but I mean, I, it's my chance to go down there and get Winder out of his house every year, and yeah, you know, <laughs> let him kiss babies and sign boobs, you know, so, <laughs> and get to do that. So, 
But all right, guys. Until next week, I hope you enjoy the show. We will be back for another episode. See ya. All right. Let me find. I gotta. <laughs>